So you've got to be um, on your guard to know what your tumour is likely to use. And certain tumours do have a preference for particular fuels. So for example, um, leukemias have a preference actually for using protein. Um, and people don't know that. That's why the ketogenic diet doesn't work in some cancers. Um, and uh, it only works temporarily for some cancers because the cancer has got this metabolic flexibility and learns to get around it. Welcome to the Metagenics Institute podcast, a place where you can hear from leading experts in health and wellness, from scientists and researchers to internationally recognized clinicians. Enjoy this insightful conversation with host Nathan Rose. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Metagenics Institute podcast. My name is Nathan Rose, the host, and with me today from the UK is Jane McClelland. Welcome, Jane. Thank you, Nathan. Thank you. My pleasure. So today we're here to talk about your journey and uh, your your uh, protocol and, and model for understanding and treating patients with cancer. So uh, where do we start? It's a, um, perhaps just quickly give us a, I know it's a, a fantastic story. It's, it's um, if you can just sort of give us an overview of your journey and then let's yeah. dive into cancer. Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, it was a pretty turbulent journey <laughs> starting with a misdiagnosis. Um, I think I was under a very suspicious kind of gynecologist who uh, was a specialist at the hospital. <clears throat> he was meant to deal with um, abnormal smears and stuff. He wasn't doing enough of the correct testing. He was only doing 64% of biopsies when he should have been doing between, you know, over about 95% because everybody going to him had um, problems. But uh, I, he, his, his actions were somewhat suspicious. Uh, and I went privately, uh, at which point he completely changed his tune and told me everything was urgent. I needed hysteroscopy. And anyway, it turned out I had um, relatively uh, advanced uh, cervical cancer at the time. I didn't realize I was told it was stage 1B because cervical cancer is kind of given different diagnosis and staging to other cancers, but it has spread to quite a lot of my lymph nodes at that point. So um, I should have had a bit more of a warning, but they called it stage 1B just because of they, they stage it more by location rather than the spread, right. uh, the, the original location. Um, so uh, I kind of sort of rested on my laurels and thought, you know, I was going to be fine. I trusted the medical profession as most people do. When you're first diagnosed, you just think the white coats know everything. Um, wrong. Anyway, so I uh, then had my mother diagnosed. She was previously diagnosed with breast cancer before I was diagnosed with my cancer. But she got stage four. It had spread to her liver in 1996. Now, my diagnosis was in 94. I was, you know, I was 30 at the time. I was pretty young. I just wasn't expecting it. You know, nobody expects to get cancer that young. And my mum was also, you know, she was only 60 when she got stage four. Um, so I was very keen uh, to, to start looking and investigating anything that might be out there to help her. So I, I dug very deeply into as much as I could, but it was very restricted back then. You know, the information available was very hard to find. Um, so I was buying loads of books. Uh, the internet was pretty much, you know, I didn't, I didn't really use the internet very much. I was 
sitting in um, hospital libraries and just trying to find, it was really, really difficult. But, you know, I, I did realise that uh, diet was really critically important and that there were some supplements and there were some uh, potential drugs uh, that could help her at the time, you know, and um, hydrazine sulfate was something I was looking into at the time. I think that's out the window now for, now for cachexia, but that was something that was deeply affecting her and she was wasting away before my eyes and and you know she didn't last very long uh with her stage four maybe she kept it to herself I don't know but she she didn't um last longer than about eight weeks with that and but that mm. was a real wake-up call for me um that I was sitting around and not really doing enough with my diet and looking after myself enough so uh, I then looked into more supplements I started taking um a host of things at that point and um and drinking lots of green tea and i cut out wheat and dairy and meat and uh i didn't quite cut the alcohol at that point <laughs> um but uh uh and then you know a few years later in 99 um i started coughing up blood and uh, immediately realized you know i i knew that my lungs uh were as a, a, a point of of potential secondaries so I, I was aware I was very conscious that that was a possibility and I kept on going back to the GP complaining of my my chest problems and was sort of palmed off the whole time but I then took myself to A&E uh, and uh, lo and behold there it was a nice um, golf ball sized tumour in my right lung um, so that was a shocker and then uh, I I then I then went headlong into research yet again, stuck my head down. And I did a lot of natural stuff at that point alongside. I, I still do the traditional things, <clears throat> but I, um, I was very much uh, trying to do the natural stuff for a long time. And that worked with the cervical cancer for, for, you know, for a few years. Things like intravenous vitamin C, green tea and um, curcumin and all sorts of, you know, quercetin lots of the usual uh, supplements that people still use nowadays. I didn't know quite why they work, but I just knew enough that they did. Uh, and that's what I was after. I just, you know, I didn't understand the um, biochemical reasons mm. or, or the pathways or anything back then. Uh, I mean, I had some medical training because I was a chartered physiotherapist for a long time. Um, but the, the cancer then kind of went to my bone marrow and I got myelodysplasia. And this was probably as a result of having such huge doses of chemo and radiotherapy uh, to my pelvis, which kind of affected uh, bone marrow there. So um, I then got myelodysplasia, which was like a huge red flag to me that things are really going, you know, I was heading off the planet fairly quickly. And at that point, I knew that whatever I was doing was not enough and I had to step up a gear. And fortunately, with some medical training, I wasn't so scared of looking at sort of this midway point where I wasn't wanting to take, and I knew taking more chemo would probably not be the best thing for me at that point. It would probably ultimately just make me worse. Um, but I needed to have something that would deal with the cancer I knew that cocktails were uh, being used for HIV. I knew that we weren't quite using enough cocktails for cancer. So my thought was just to try and put together a cocktail of old drugs, which I'd already read about in the literature, but I'd had a little bit of 
reticence really to to start at that point but as soon as the Milo dysplasia was rearing its head I thought you know what I can't hang around with this I've just got to get on with it I then took research to very I mean I've seen quite a few integrative doctors at the time because they were a source of information for me because the internet wasn't feeding me as much I was just picking everybody's brains that I possibly could <laughs> so um, I went to see uh, Dr Calibu who was fabulous and I showed him the research and I said please you know I, I think I really need to take this drug called dipridamol and he read the research he said well I remember it back in the 1980s and nobody uh, was prescribed it but I thought that it would be a good idea and okay let's give you this it shouldn't cause you any side effects uh, if you have any low blood pressure or have any headaches let me know but they should pass um, and so off I went I took my diprinamol to start with and then I came across some more um, literature uh, about lovastatin and uh, that was being used with head and neck cancers and cervical cancers which are both HPV driven and so um, that I thought was interesting but then I also came across some other information that showed if you take a statin combined with a strong non-steroidal anti-inflammatory that that has even better effects at causing cancer cell death so I thought yippee-doo let's go and get myself some of that and fortunately back then I had uh, an oncologist who was much more amenable to looking outside of the box and actually prescribing these things nowadays there are so many rules and regulations and right. uh, I think oncologists are too scared of doing anything uh, that is off-label but anyway my my oncologist who's uh, sadly since retired herself for, for, because she had breast cancer but anyway back then in 2000 and this was now 2003 um, I had all sorts of blood markers going off the scale and I had a deleted P53 in my blood. So she didn't quite understand. And I didn't tell her that this was most likely a result of my, I didn't think she was even thinking of myelodysplasia because she was too worried about, she was focusing on my cervical cancer coming back. And my markers for that were actually still within normal range, but my markers, I had a, a blood test called the PK, uh, M2, the M2PK, and that that was showing that it was uh, wildly off, and that I was having this abnormal metabolism called glycolysis happening in my in my cells. So she um, she didn't know about that, but she did know about the deleted P53, but she didn't click, and I didn't really want to tell her that um, you know I had another issue happening um, because I'd had all sorts of blood tests run by my integrative oncologist who was looking at my blood and looking at all these other things. And he was suggesting I should go back and discuss chemo. And I just didn't want to go down that route. So um, I, I was keeping it a little quiet at this point. But she prescribed the lovastatin and the non-steroidal, which uh, was a Todalac. That was the one that I took. Uh, and I took quite a high, you have to take quite a high dose, which probably didn't do my gut any good at the time. And there are certain things I probably would take now if I took if I took that again, I would uh, look at protecting my stomach probably a little better. But anyway, the combination of the atodolac, the statin, the dipridamol, and you know some of the supplements I, I was taking. Back then, nobody even knew about berberine. And I'd come across this research about how good uh, it was Mahonia aquifolium with its main constituent part being berberine, being so amazing. Uh, and it was amazing for all sorts of reasons for anti-inflammatory reasons for um anti uh i had a keratinizing tumor and it was um good for psoriasis which is kind of lots of keratinocytes 
sort of rapidly multiplying. So I thought that this would actually be quite a good thing to take. And um, it helped the gut, it helped reduce glucose. And I thought, well, this sounds like a good idea. And then um, uh, because I knew glucose was feeding my cancer, I, you know, that, that, that is a fact that pretty much everybody knows is that um, glucose receptors um, are, are sprout on the top of your cancer cells to, to pull in more glucose into the cells. So mm. I thought anything that would reduce the um, glucose into the cell would be a good idea. So I was taking berberine before anybody else, even before, I mean, I went to talk to Dr. Calibu about it and he, he didn't know about it, but thought it looked like a good idea. So, yeah. <laughs> um, so that, that was added into my protocol as well. So I, I was taking an awful lot of supplements. I mean, I, I got the nickname maracas for, because, you know, you could rattle me. Yes. Uh, I, I, I would just be, I probably, if I count the number, I, in a day, I would have taken between 50 and 80, I'd say in a day. Um, wow. Um, yeah, maybe even a bit more, but anyway, so that, that was, that was my, um, that was me back then, you know, I'd take things at meal times. I was taking, I was taking pancreatic enzymes between meals. I was taking a few amino acids between meals as well. Um, so the, the, but very, uh, targeted amino acids, depending on, you know, what I was lacking, they'd done all sorts of blood work on me to, to see my deficiencies. Right. Yep. Uh, and I think that's important for people to do. And I really think that people aren't doing that enough. They're just relying on the sort of the off-label drugs and they're relying on um, the, the traditional stuff and they're not really investigating how their body is functioning properly and actually working out what specific things that they should be taking. So I think there's a lot, a, a lot more that cancer patients should be doing, but, um, you know, cost comes into this enormously. You know, all of, of it is very do all that um so it was but it was back then it was just a journey um that took a long time but about seven months after starting my cocktail um i got you know complete uh reversal of all my blood markers so that was um, a huge relief and then the following year in 2004 uh, i went off the rails it was a big birthday it was my 40th and i went to ireland on a sailing trip and I drank Murphy's, which is like Guinness, which is full of iron, which is no right. good for anybody with cancer. And um, I, uh, my markers suddenly started, my cervical markers um, started going off the scale again. And I took this combination <clears throat> because I already had this combo in my drawer, but I didn't know how long to take it for. I'd only taken it for a short time. So I then took it again and like magic, you know, everything reverted back to normal and my markers dropped, you know, plunged again. Um, so I was, I was delighted that I seem to have found a sort of a cocktail that worked. Um, but I took it for much longer and I stuck, uh, I didn't take the Atodolac for, for long, but the um, statin I stuck with for a long time. And then in 2007, I discovered metformin as another alternative to berberine. And since 2007, I have kind of alternated between berberine and metformin because they overlap to a large degree in what they do, uh, but they do have some slightly differing effects uh, that are beneficial in different in different ways. So um, I do I do alternate them a little bit. Yes, um, but I'm still here. <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> incredible journey. And so just to recap, yeah. that's three 
cancers um, in remission. And you've obviously learned a, a lot along the way and did a lot of research. And yeah. it's not just a matter of taking the, the pharmacopoeia from A to Z of everything. Yeah. You've no. pieced, pieced together. Nice. A, yeah. Yeah. So you've pieced together a model which you want to look at to sort of hang all this off because I think people's heads are probably spinning now with all the, the drug names and something they're not familiar with, but we'll get into all that. So yeah. what I really like your model of, um, is your metro map and how you've come to understand cancer. So before we explain that, perhaps can we contrast like the, the sort of central dogma of cancer and um, more recently there's been these hallmarks of cancer, but it's sort of hard to wrap yeah. your head around you've managed to sort of digest and um, put it into clinical um, sort of utility for want of a better term to yeah. be able to map it out. So can you firstly give a broad overview of sort of the yeah. um, theories of cancer? It was many nights lying in the bath thinking, how can I simplify the complexity of cancer? <laughs> I was looking at it and I, it kind of sort of struck me that you, you could actually, when you look at the traditional hallmarks of cancer, and there, you know, there's all sorts of, um, you know, uh, weird sounding stuff that people, the normal lay person, it will just be nonsense to them, you know. Um, and there doesn't seem to be a start or a finish or anything that it was just a sort of a random list of, of things that happen in the cancer cell. But they, they'd, um, Hanahan and Weinberg had completely missed off the um, <clears throat> metabolic side. So they had missed off uh, the immune system as well. It wasn't until 2011 that they put the dysregulated metabolism and the dysregulated immune system into their list. But they hadn't uh, either recognized another hallmark, which is its metabolic flexibility. In mm -hmm. other words, its ability to switch from using glucose to glutamine to fatty acids to ketones to, you know, uh, it, it will use what it can use, depending very much often on just where it's located in the body and, and what's available. And um, just trying to work out the structure of how it started. And, and I, I just thought, you know, I'm going to dig through the research and try and work out how cancer really does start. Sometimes, you know, the central dogma is that we get these random mutations of our genes. There's nothing we can do about it. And that's just the way it is. And then you get this random list of well this long list of of uh hallmarks of sort of replicative um um what is it what um constant replication yeah. all, all of these things which are um we we know about but how does it start so uh, i thought i would just sit down and, and have a good think about trying to make this some sort of and, and some sort of formula in which you could actually say okay this is the structure of how it works and i i have had a little bit of nutrition training so i kind of knew about the three macros in the diet you've got carb protein fat those are your three main ones i thought what if you actually just put these and it's is somebody's described my metro map a little bit like a picasso painting <laughs> because things aren't exact you know it's when you look at it it's not you know, things aren't exactly on the protein side or exactly on the carbohydrate side. There are some, you know, interlapping areas yeah. where they, where it's not quite right. But I've, I've put things, I thought I'll simplify things and I'll put certain things like IGF-1, I'll put on the protein side. Insulin, I'm putting on the carbohydrate side, you know, the glucose side. Um, so it was quite um, straightforward in, in a way. I started off with a very simple triangle 
to start with and it's sort of built up over the years actually if I showed you my most recent one you'd probably your eyes would pop out but um you know it's it's getting more complex as I'm sort of delving deeper and deeper into the uh, finer details of metabolism but I thought I'd get the main pathways the key pathways so I've got about six or seven I think on each side of my uh, metro map for each protein carbon fat side of the triangle and these are key pathways that every cancer stem cell will use so it's a matter of not necessarily understanding you know what does mevalonate mean you know that's the, that's the statin cholesterol pathway but you don't have to necessarily fully understand what it means you know what is mevalonate you don't, don't worry about it just know it's a cholesterol pathway mm. and that you need to block it uh, and actually cancer Cancer cells behave like normal cells in that they replicate, but they're just doing it a lot quicker. Um, but they've also got this altered metabolism going on inside, which is, I think, the big Achilles heel. Uh, you know, we're, we're trying to wipe out cancer with just killing off this fast replication with chemo and radiotherapy, but we're not winning because it's not getting to the cancer stem cell. The cancer stem cell in there is re replicating much slower it's a much bigger cell. It's heavier because it's containing more mitochondria because it's also using the normal process of oxfos, which is what normal cells use. Um, you know, the, it's, it's, a, uh, it's a completely different kind of cell that needs a completely different kind of approach. And just using chemo and radiotherapy is not, not the way to get rid of the stem cell, which is the reason we get the metastases and the spread, because those stem cells are left behind and they seed these right. new tumors, which are mo much more resistant because they've learned uh, how the chemo and the radiotherapy has worked on the, the, the cancer and they found a way around it because of this metabolic flexibility. And it's metabolic flexibility, which is the key. You can find a lot of pathways on my chart, which will mean that your normal treatments will actually work for an awful lot longer. For example, I'll just give you a quick example yeah. of that. Um, so if you're taking Herceptin, Herceptin has only got sort of a, a life of several years uh, before it can stop working because, again, the cancer cell is learning to, to get around it. But if you block one of the pathways, which is on my chart on the protein side, um by using hydroxychloroquine you can suddenly make it receptive to herceptin again so you suddenly have this option of continuing to use a really good and useful drug but you just extend its it's you know not only the life of the drug but yeah. your life <laughs> by being able to, to use the combination you get a much better effect i've had one lady with her to you know i've got several ladies actually who who have gone into complete remission because they've they've done just that and they didn't use the hydroxychloroquine to start with they just blocked some of the other pathways but they the hydroxychloroquine was one that uh, isn't always used to start with but certainly with certain i wouldn't say every cancer but with certain cancers um this pathway is very upregulated you know it's, it's it's something that needs to be looked at um sooner rather than later sure. and pancreatic cancer for for example is is another one that uses that pathway very heavily right so just back to this flexibility um i, I find yeah. this fascinating so um practitioners probably recognize this quote-unquote warburg effect where the um the, the view is that the cancer preferentially uh, utilizes glucose um, plus or minus the presence of oxygen 
and therefore one of the strategies should be just to, to block glucose consumption by the tumor but you're essentially saying that and my understanding is that the, the cancer has the ability to sort of rewire its metabolism and to feed off any macronutrient yeah. that's available yeah um, i i think there's been this misunderstanding for a long time that it's just glycolysis that is the issue it isn't our, our normal cells use this process of Ox, what's known as oxfos or the Krebs cycle. Yep. Um, and it uses the normal burning of glucose in, in this sort of Krebs cycle, which is in the mitochondria. Now, the glycolysis or this Wahlberg effects happens in the cytoplasm. So there are two specific different areas which are burning energy and they will compensate for each other. So, but the, the glycolysis, it will use preferentially use glycolysis because it's a faster way to actually use the glucose. But in order to produce daughter cells and to produce the energy for, for, for doing all that, it still has to produce, what it does is it creates more mitochondria in the stem cells. So it's constantly, these mitochondria, people think of all the cell as kind of almost a little bit static, but it's constantly changing. Mitochondria are constantly dividing and fusing and doing this, you know, and, and what happens is you get more and more mitochondria forming inside the um, cancer stem cells so that they, it can use more of the normal energy um, oxfos to produce its ATP, which is its energy currency. So it's producing ATP either from glycolysis, which is an added extra, or it's using, you know, oxfos, which is the normal process that a normal cell would use. And I think people have not recognized the fact that oxfos is the problem and this mitochondrial biogenesis, this new production of mitochondria is an issue as well. And people have just got hung up on the glycolysis and not recognized that we've gone beyond that. You know, Warburg right. was right to a point. Yeah. Um, and there, there are people who still say that the, the mitochondria are all dysfunctional. That's not true either. You know, you will okay. find that mitochondria are actually very functional. They're super functional in, uh, in cancer. And, and that's a problem. And, and the reason that we have drugs such as metformin now being so good is because they will actually block some of that oxfos <coughs> and the mitochondrial biogenesis. So berberine also is, um, is a sort of a natural antibiotic. Um, and doxycycline also works on oxfos because mitochondria are like ancient bacteria. And this is why those two things are particularly good at stopping this mitochondrial biogenesis because it's kind of blocking this constant production of new mitochondria to, to produce the energy for the cell to, to keep dividing. Um, so you've got to block both. You can't just block, if you block glycolysis, it'll just produce more mitochondria and use oxfos. So you, right. you've got to work at both of them at the same time. And I don't think this is fully recognized as, as a strategy. You know, people have just been working on the glycolysis theory and they're just going on ketogenic diets which is great for reducing the glucose uptake um but it's not looking at you know fat and protein can be used by oxfos it gets broken down by fatty acid oxidation um and you know you you get the energy being produced anyway so it, it uses glutamine very heavily uh, and it can use ketones as well so you've got to be um on your guard to know what your tumor is likely to use and certain tumors do have a preference for particular fuels so mm. for example um leukemias have a preference actually for using protein um 
and people don't know that. That's why the ketogenic diet doesn't work in some cancers. Um, and uh, it only works temporarily for some cancers because the cancer has got this metabolic flexibility and learns to get around it. So, you, you, you know, you can have, and I think a ketogenic diet can be very useful initially if you've got a real carb addiction to get you off carbs and to try and wean you off that constant sugar uh, craving. But, you know, once you've got through a few weeks of that, I think you need to be looking very much more at a, a sort of a, um, a low glycemic diet, but using supplements, using off-label drugs if you need to, you know, and I think most people should be taking um, particular, well, stage three and four definitely I think should be on the um, off-label drug scenario as well as just the supplements. Yeah, I think yeah. uh, at that stage, you've got a, a runaway cancer that needs a little bit more effort um, but stage one or two, you could probably get away with just the the supplements just to try and block some of these things. Okay. My, my next update to my book will contain more of the natural uh, supplements to help that side of things. I've stuck very much, not completely, but you know there are uh, natural options in my book as well yep. for um, blocking these pathways. But very much the off-label drugs, we know how they work. We have data on it. We we know that they are effective. Whereas Supplements can be very variable. You know, you have to go to a, a good quality supplement mm. um, company to know that you're getting what you think you're getting. So back to the um, the cancer type. So how yeah. does a, a say a patient or practitioner they've been diagnosed with cancer? So I, I get with the stage three and four, you then when you may be wanting to definitely reach for the off-label drugs. But yeah, you mentioned leukemias um, prefer protein. How does one start to get their head around um, what fuel type the cancer is leaning towards and, and when would you know if it's switching over? To, uh, as I understand, like prostate cancer, doesn't it switch yeah. phenotypes as it advances? So, it yeah. does. And, yeah, and, and things like ovarian, you know, in stages one or two, it's mostly its dominant fuel is glucose, but as you get to three and four, it starts to switch more to glutamine. So, you know, it, it depends on the stage. It depends. It's, it's a very... What I would love and what I'm trying to work out at the moment is some blood tests that people could take so that they can track exactly what's going mm. on in their tumour so that they would have a picture, a snapshot. Okay, it's dominant with this or it's dominant or it's equally using these three macros uh, the same way. So, you know, you people need to have that input. Uh, and, and at the moment, when we, we don't, because this is, I, I've kind of, push things a little bit to, to a sort of a new point with, with my, my book and people haven't, you know, the science hasn't quite caught up with the clinical testing and the, right. the ability to, to give the answers in the way that we'd like to. I mean, certainly with PET, PET scans will tell you whether you are burning glucose, but it won't tell you whether you're burning, how much you're, you know, in, in terms of the dominance, it won't mm. tell you if you're burning glutamine. You can get glutamine traces for pets, PET scans. And they use them um, more often now with, uh, well, they don't use them very often, but they, they, they are used for brain cancers because you get better picture because glutamine uh, is, is very much taken up by brain cancers. Um, and, you know, you have to have different traces. In fact, prostate cancer, they use choline as a tracer because it's such a dominance for fat and that side that, uh, that that's the tracer that they use. 
because that gives you a better picture than doing a PET scan. But unfortunately, people can get the wrong opinion sometimes of what, what's going on and they get swayed by the fact that if you do a ketogenic diet and you're doing really well on that and you do a PET scan and it suddenly looks like your cancer, and I don't want to be alarmist here, but I have mm. had this happen with people's cancer has completely switched to glutamine. They looked at the PET scan, thought they were clear, and of course they weren't. Um, because it's switched to just a dominance of glutamine, which actually can be more aggressive. So, you, you, you know, I don't want to alarm people and think, oh, my PET scan, what's going on? But, you know, generally speaking, a PET scan will give you a fairly good picture of, of making improvements. Um, but you, you can't just, you know, I know some clinics where they focus very heavily on just glucose. And this, this is an error, in my view. Yeah. Uh, because I've had people think they're fine and, you know, actually not do very well <laughs> to put it uh, in a, in a minor way, uh, you know, a few weeks later, unfortunately it's all looking very bad. So um, it, it's, it's something people need to be aware of. And I don't think there is enough awareness of this um, potential for the cancer to do this. And the treatments out there are just not good enough to deal with this um, as they are, you know, the standard of care. And this is where looking at these off-label drugs can be particularly useful. Yeah, yeah. So just back to the um, testing outside of like looking at the cancer phenotype, is there any clues um, that we can glean at the moment from doing other biomarkers like insulin, glucose, um, constant glucose monitoring to get a sense general sort of metabolism which may not reflect the cancer metabolism though no no you i'm I'm trying to look for specific cancer markers because a lot of things like lactate dehydrogenase or igf you know these these are things that can go off the scale for other reasons um infections can make your ldh or lactate dehydrogenase go up that's a marker of glycolysis you know um but you so it's not uh although it can give you a general guideline um it's not the most reliable test. Uh, so it's, it's very hard to know, you know, I, I, I'm looking at certain things like maybe looking at surviving and buckle two and some, some other things that will maybe give uh, more specific cancer information. I'm talking to a lab at the moment to try and create some lab tests for people to, to, to actually send their blood to and get some kind of snapshot of what's going on. So, um, I mean, deep discussions with with a, a scientist about um, which tests we should run to try and give a really good picture of the metabolism. Yeah. Um, so working on working on that. That's work in progress. Okay. Well, is there any um, just outright sort of contraindications like keto in this cancer, or you know, um, high carb in another cancer that you can say categorically at this stage? Uh, you know, most cancers are a complex picture of everything. So even having said that leukemia mostly feeds on yeah. um, protein, it, it does, you know, in amino acids, it does use glucose. So you can't, you can't, and because of the ability to switch, yes, your focus should maybe, even with leukemias, to maybe reduce the protein intake. But the, the, the cancer will learn to get glutamine in different ways, you know. So, um, and that's why you need the supplements, why you need yep. the... Yep. labeled yep. drug because just doing a diet is not going to be enough for those people um 
and yeah if you if you're if you've got a so keto for say endometrial which is far more glucose driven actually keto works pretty well for endometrial um so so that's good um but you know there are some cancers i i i would say definitely avoid keto so prostate cancer because we discussed you know they use choline as the tracer and we know that prostate cancer has a huge affinity for fat and we know that um, a high meat diet will cause prostate you know be one of the factors that are often uh, there in the background when you have prostate cancer not necessarily cause but it certainly helps yeah. it to 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 spread and and to to start but um so those those are cancers where i would say ketogenic diet would definitely be uh something to to not look at long term certainly you get some results to start with but as you were saying with prostate cancer you do get this switch later on where it starts to use glucose later as it becomes more androgen um resistant uh as it's called castration resistant you you get it switching to using glute one a lot more but having said that it does use glute five um fairly early on as well so so this is again this is some, something i'm going to put in the update of my book that uh, the glute 5 is actually fruit um so fructose is is its predominant sort of carb right. uh, to begin with and then it switches more to glucose later on um so even though we got fat and protein as being dominant it will still pick up fructose if it can uh, and use that as well so it's very complex and Absolutely. you know I'd, I'd love to be able to sort of write uh and and and, and I, I will be doing a series of um online courses and, and probably breaking down individual cancers a little bit more with that but uh and and producing an app as well that's that's in the pipeline <laughs> so that it will help people to work out exactly what fuels are being used and what supplements what drugs may be useful for them and try and pick up on where they might have um missing links in their program sure. so um and give them the, those options of um adding those things in to give that cocktail because the cocktail is what we really really are missing yeah absolutely so uh, yeah unfortunately you can't have a categorical answer but i think it's important no. to point out that the, the no, main thing yeah. is that diet will only take you so far so um yeah. some you need to I mean, move on Sorry. Yeah, there are people who do very well with just diet, but they're they're very rare. Yeah, you know, yeah. I think it's too risky. I I just think if you've got stage three or four cancer, why risk it? Why why would you risk just doing um a diet when when yeah. there are these low toxicity? And people people are a little bit nervous, and I understand that about taking yet more drugs, you know. But these are are not um they're not really toxic stuff. I mean. There's a lot of who are about hydroxychloroquine in in the um, media at the moment, and yeah, it's you've got to be careful with it because it does affect your QT interval of your heart if you have heart issues. But um, you know, the uh, if it's all about the dosage, it's all about being careful and monitoring yourself, and it everything is a bit of a juggle, you know. And you've got Absolutely. to get proper medical uh, input with these things. You can't just go off and prescribe these drugs to yourself and this is what worries me a little bit i mean i've got um a, a site my facebook group which has nearly nearly thirty thousand people on it wow. now but there there are um they are 
some of them are trying to get hold of a lot of these drugs without doctors. And I think this is a huge mistake. You know, you can't, when you start adding things into your, your routine, you can't, even though they have got very good safety track records, you know, metformin is one of the safest drugs you can take, but you, you still need to be monitored. You still need to have all those tests done. You need your liver function tests done. You need to have all of these things run um, all the time just to check and keep you. So you, you might have to stop your statin, for example, for a month uh, if your liver enzymes go up. Um, it's, it's actually benefit. People don't realize, people think that the statins are, are not beneficial for the liver, but actually you look at statins for liver cancer and it has huge benefits. So, you know, it's, um, uh, it's not detrimental, but it just will raise the enzymes and you've, you've right. got to be careful with what you're doing and how much stress you're putting your body under sometimes with these things. Um, and you, you do need proper medical guidance. And I do suggest people don't just get, unfortunately quite a big team when you've got cancer, you know, you need your, your traditional oncologist and you need to keep them on side because they're the ones that are sort of overseeing all the big nasty drug stuff. Um, if you're still wanting to take those and some people choose not to, but I think that's a, a mistake, but we'll talk about that maybe. Yeah. And then you've got uh, the integrative oncologist. And I think everybody should have somebody able to prescribe something beyond the traditional stuff. So these off-label drugs, I think, um, you know, you should find somebody who has got knowledge of how these off-label drugs work and what targets they're hitting. You know, they can, they can buy my, but I've got a lot of doctors now who are actually uh, coming on board with my, my approach. And, um, you know, I love it when I get doctors writing to me saying how well they're doing with their patients, yeah. uh, pa I get patient emails regularly. But, you know, when I get the doc ones from the doctors, it's yes, I'm making, <laughs> I'm making steps, you know, um, because it's actually, I won't get anywhere until I get more doctors on board with, doing this um so my little revolution is slowly bit by bit you know as patients take their books into their oncologists or into their integrative clinics and say have you have you looked at these options and show them my metro map and how it works and and it, it it is a simplified form of of the metabolism but it you know it's it's a it's a very easy sort of quick reference to see where you might be missing out so um, I'm, I'm pleased the way things are going. Um, I've seen, you know, I published in 2018 and since then I've seen massive change, which is terrific. Um, not as much change as I'd like, but, right. you know, I can see the, the rumblings out there in, in the interweb has been mm -hmm. amazing. It's, um, yeah, I, yeah, I, I yeah. can see a lot of people starting to, to use this approach and, and Joe Tippin's approach, which is using the fenbendazole which is very similar to you know almost identical to mubendazole which is one of the drugs i discussed in, uh, as blocking you know actually helps to block the um glute one receptors and glute five actually so you know it's um it's something that's very useful in fact i've got one guy who had advancing prostate cancer and he started taking more fenbendazole at this point and mubendazole but he was dissolving it in dmso um but that suddenly you know from from starting he'd done very well on my program he'd been in a wheelchair um with a psa of a thousand and eight and you know he, he thought his time was was up um but then he he got onto my program he got his psa down to 0.2 
I think at one stage, uh, with the help of Lupron, which is, um, you know, androgen suppressing drug. Um, but then it started creeping up a tiny bit and started to get a bit panicked. So, you know, something to block the glute is the, the glute uh, five and the glute one. Uh, Fenbendazole and Mabendazole uh, are very useful for that. Uh, there are also some other supplements as well that um, I'll, I'll discuss yeah, yeah. in my, my update. Okay. <laughs> but uh, yeah, there's, there's a huge amount to say. But, you know, even if things are starting to go wrong, it's not necessarily that you're doing. And this is where people often make the mistake. They stop what they're doing and switch to an entirely different program. That's not necessarily the thing to do. You need to add something. It's like the Herceptin when it stops working. Do you stop taking it? No. Try adding a bit of hydroxychloroquine. Then it'll start working again. You know, it's just blocking its escape route, its salvage route that it uses to sort of get round and escape being um, killed off. So you, it's just a matter of doing a bit of research and it can be quite tricky for people to do their own research. Uh, and I'm hoping that, you know, I, I, I am going to do an online course with um, helping people to, to, to look at, how their cancers are, are working and, and helping them to research. Um, so hopefully they can help people because I think people are, they, they, they read my book and the first bit is great. It's my story and yeah. that's fairly easy to read. And then you get to all the sort of the glycolysis and Oxfos in part two. And to some people that's just, uh, you know, that just messes with their head <laughs> <laughs> and they're already on chemo or they're on, you know, or they're just, just got a bit of brain fog. And um, I think a bit of visual would probably help them at this point. So uh, that's the plan. Sure. I've got a lot of things in the pipeline. It sounds like it. Um, yeah. Just as an anecdote, um, I was at about four or five um, integrative um, practitioners clinics just before COVID kicked off to do some um, filming around our Congress on cancer. And I think four, maybe even five out of the five had your book on their desk so it's certainly yeah. um that's certainly landing <laughs> in australia okay I, I need their details so i can put <laughs> them on my website because people are always wanting to know you know who who do we go and see um and yeah. you know i I'm, I'm putting a list of uh, doctors up on my 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 own website just to not in my facebook group but actually just doing some more on my my website as well right. so that people can use that as a reference point um, so. Cool. so back to the um i might just sort of step through this slowly just and i know there's a lot of nuances but um maybe first of all just and they do have their limitations hence why i really love your your um your protocol it's you're not picking sides it's not alternative it's not mm. conventional you, you're basically just yeah. doing the best medicine um though as you mentioned like getting onto some of those drugs can be um challenging so maybe just first of all just to reiterate some of the the natural, um, what are your sort of top few that pull on these strings of trying to starve the the metabolic pathways? Um, yeah. Yeah. So what are okay. the, some of the big ones from a natural so, perspective? So, um, I mean, certainly berberine is up there. You know, it hits so many uh, different targets on on my metro map, um, and also it stops that three, and it stops. You know, it's it's got a a wide ranging um, effect and, and particularly it helps the microbiome as well. So m most people, you know, the reason that we get cancer is often because we have uh, our immune systems have uh, 
uh, become a problem because we've yeah. had leaky gut. And, you know, this, this, you often get back down to the microbiome ultimately, you know. Um, so, uh, and, and the reason that metformin and berberine are both very useful uh, is because they can help um, make your gut much more uh, cancer unfriendly. Right. Um, and help your immune system to overcome it. So ber- berberine is a, a really top um, top supplement, and thank God I discovered it when I did and decided yeah. to go. You know, absolutely. Um, I, I certainly wouldn't be here, I don't think, without it. And quercetin, I think, is uh, has many targets as well. You know, it's a it's a very powerful blocker of GLUT one, which is your glucose receptor. That's not normal in most cells. You know, you don't have GLUT one, um, so that's a specific thing that will help that. But um, psilocybin is also great as well for, for many reasons, but also helping to keep your your liver functioning well. I think, you know, particularly if you're starting to take an awful lot of uh, off-label drugs and supplements, you need a, a well-functioning liver. So keeping that supported is, is quite, uh, quite important. Um, but there are, you know, there are a lot of other ones like blocking glutamine, um, people often make the mistake of just looking at curcumin or um, green tea. Now, green tea is great because it blocks glutamate um, uptake, but uh, curcumin won't work unless you link it to ursolic acid. And resveratrol, again, won't work right. unless you link it to resveratrol. You can either use one or the other. I, I, both of them also have other, you know, curcumin and resveratrol have other targets that they hit as well so um for for prostate cancer in particular the research showed that you had to take um curcumin with ursolic or resveratrol with ursolic but actually a combination of all three is particularly useful for blocking glutamine um but you know that's that's not going to completely block it necessarily you know there are there are other things as well that maybe need to be looked at and um i'll be discussing um, in my update, I've got, you know, some other, I'm, I'm breaking down glutaminolysis into sort of its more specific parts. And the same with glycolysis, breaking that down into more specific parts um, and more targets in there. Um, but stevia, believe it or not, is actually very good at blocking glutamate dehydrogenase. Right. And people don't know that. Yeah. So um, you, can, you can't actually get it as a supplement. This is one of my things is to create a range of uh, good quality supplements for people in the future as well. But I think that's something that should be used by a lot of the uh, cancers that are um, using glutamine very heavily. Uh, at the moment, I don't know the dosage precisely or, you know, uh, I, I suspect it's probably only a very low dose is needed. Um, but regularly sure. uh, so and it's a bit like uh the green tea I, I don't think people should use really heavy doses of green tea i think it should be something that people take regularly uh in fact i i, I like people to drink it predominantly but some people because they are very heavy you know these cancers that can be very heavy on the glutamine uptake um they will need to have a supplement as well but it can be quite heavy on the liver so this is where, you know, you need the psilocybin from milk thistle to try and make sure that you're keeping your liver functioning nicely. So, um, and, a, and another, do you, do you want me to rattle off a few yeah, more? A more? Yeah, if you could, please. <laughs> okay. Um, but there are things like bergamot, which have been shown to be particularly good for, in, instead in lieu of 
statins, uh, the problem with bergamot, even though it can help block fatty acid oxidation, it can help block p 2 which is this, alter, you know, um, not p 2 the mevalonate pathway, which is this cholesterol pathway, um, but it can upregulate um, GLUT1, which is an issue. Uh, and I, I, you know, there are reasons that, um, so bergamot, although it, it can be potentially good, you know, you've got to look at what you're doing at the same time. It's all about the cocktail. Everything is about the cocktail. Uh, and I'm afraid everybody else is going to, you, you know, all those cancer patients out there, you're going to rattle like I did because mm-hmm. um, maybe not quite as many as I took, but certainly an awful lot because you need it. You need to, I mean, and what I want to do is actually produce supplements that actually are a combination that yeah. hit several targets at the same time um, so that you're not spending a fortune on uh, loads and loads of supplements, but you can actually just use a really good combo. Sure. That's the key. All right. Yeah. So now, um, is there like an entry level for the the um, the off-label drugs? You, you listed several of them. Um, is there some ones that patients would consider approaching their oncologist and practitioner first to to consider? What's is there easier ones to begin with? Um, what are some of the hero ones there that you think are important? Yeah, I mean, metformin and statins are kind of like my top. Okay. Two, although aspirin is up there too. <clears throat> and aspirin is particularly useful for things like, you know, where you've got COX-2 uh, inflammatory uh, issues going on. And COX-2 is, is quite high with things like colorectal, uh, prostate cancer. You know, the, these two work. Aspirin is particularly useful for those two. Um, but there, there, there are reasons to use aspirin for other cancers as well. Um, but um, metformin, it has so many targets. I mean, it's 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 a wonder drug really for cancer, and anti-aging drug as well. And you know, it's it it has a myriad of of uses. But there are people who will say that it's a poison. You know, uh, but actually, this is it's not necessarily a bad thing. <laughs> um, you you actually need a bit of uh, stress sometimes on ourselves. Just having a whole load of antioxidants the whole mm. time is with old thinking you know we, we don't actually want that we want to it's like stress stressing your muscles a little bit to get them to work harder and to get stronger you need to stress them and it's the same with your cells you need to give them a little bit of a, a hit sometimes to sort of stress them to make them stronger and better um and this is the the old theory of sort of trying to stop all the the you know the radical the free radicals is is actually out of date that's mm. that's old thinking um and what we want to do now in fact even if you take a huge number of antioxidants you actually might right raise your level of cancer believe it or not so um uh, you, you've actually got to be a little bit careful about uh, that's using n-acetylcysteine by the way if you take too much n-acetylcysteine right. um, there's a chance you, you could um, cause cancer because of course n-acetylcysteine is used by the, the cancer cell to protect itself from being killed off um so you know there there are good antioxidants and bad antioxidants and it's actually learning um which ones are which but yeah, even right. antioxidants you know can can become pro-oxidant if you take them at particular levels and particular ways so yeah it's um <laughs> all right so again yeah, aspirin another rabbit hole to go down <laughs> yeah so, so aspirin yeah. metformin statins are they um do patients mm. ha- 
um, experienced less resistance for those in, in, compared to other drugs? With, with um, experience with um, yeah. seeing practitioners? I, I, well, stat statins tend to be a bugbear mm. for, for many people. You know, there's there's been a lot of bad press about statins. Um, uh, you know, you look at the Macola.com and he he's, you know, he's he said for a long time that statins cause cancer and things. Actually, this is not true. And if you yeah. look at the research that came out last, well, it depends what type of statin you're looking at, but certainly the research that came out on ovarian cancer with statins was glowing about how amazing and these dramatic reductions in uh, cancer and um, increasing in survival rate using statins with ovarian cancer which is very fat driven by the way so that's why it's sort of you know um, it helps particularly for that cancer and same with prostate cancer hugely important for for prostate cancer um, but there is there is resistance to to these things but it's a, it's a matter of education and you know i get a lot of my uh, my one star comments on amazon are from people who have this sort of anti-drug agenda right uh, for whatever reason you know i have people uh slating me for even suggesting that drugs are a potential thing to use you know um unfortunately that's that's the way things are you've got people people can get very religious about their thoughts when it comes to cancer treatment and get stuck in in particular ways of thinking um and it's just trying to get through to people that they need to remain open-minded mm. and to look at things and, and not think it's just one way is the way um and and there are different options you know if you look at my metro map i give people options so if you don't like taking doxycycline for example you know um the berberine is an option to take instead for for blocking oxfos so there there, there are these um these alternatives out there and it's not just a, as long as you know what you're doing and why you're taking it and the point with my metromap is i'm hoping to and it's not just my metromap i've got things either side you know i've got the cell signaling the growth factors the immune dysregulation i've got you know there there are other factors that come into it as well but essentially the metromap is kind of my guide to starving the cancer yes. um and it is complex but you know hopefully it's i give people some fairly quick answers as to what they should take for uh, a given set of conditions yeah and has there been there's been a few studies hasn't there using not the whole suite of cocktails that you encourage people to to um, pursue but there has been some studies like with aspirin and metformin has there been in cancer patients yeah there, there are some trials and they're that you know and these um they're trialing metformin alongside uh chemo drugs and obviously yeah, right. it's been working particularly well you know uh cancer research have been doing a trial for years they keep extending it yep. i think this is yes. because they don't want to tell people <laughs> i don't know but that you know is why not release the results we know it works and they keep extending oh, and right. extending oh. the trial why haven't they told people about this you know it, it drives me nuts and um I, I, I just, I, I'm suspicious. I'm deeply suspicious that they're trying to cover things up. And there was a, um, we know that metformin is particularly useful for, for, for pretty much every cancer and even prostate cancer, you know, and it came out with something to say that metformin wasn't particularly useful for, for, for prostate cancer, which of course is mostly 
not driven by glucose. And of course, metformin is brilliant for reducing um, mm. glucose. So yeah, so metformin to start with doesn't look like it's the best drug for prostate cancer. And they try to say it's you know not not useless, but it did it had no benefit uh, to prostate cancer patients, which is a lie because you know you use it in the right combination and uh, bingo. That's that's yeah. the key. It's always about the, the cocktail. That's the key. Absolutely. All right. So outside of the the metro map, you mentioned the your sort of reframed hallmarks. Um, are there modalities and therapies people can consider? You know, for supporting immune system. You mentioned IV vitamin C earlier. What are some other other considerations outside the the starvation of the cancer cells that you think are, are critical to consider? Yeah. So. Um... There, there are driving factors that sort of uh, are sort of the, the, the way that cancer starts. So it can be um, many cancers are kind of driven by infections. And I think actually a, a co-infection of sort of viral, bacterial, uh, parasitic, you know, you can have any number of those things triggering um, cancer. And you need to kind of look at those considerations. So look at your immune system through looking at your gut and clearing, you know, Mabendazole is, is a particularly useful addition because it will um, deal with the cell signaling, the, the hedgehog signaling, which is altered in pretty much virtually every cancer. <clears throat> um, but there are um, other issues to look at. So with the immune dysregulation, certainly there are supplements um, and drugs that can be useful for that as well. And uh, beta-glucans and various numbers of mushrooms, you know, a, a combination, a cocktail of different um mushrooms from shiitake to lion's mane to turkey tail to you know all of those things uh will actually help um kick the immune system a little bit but actually the immune system is suppressed because of the abnormal metabolism going on in the cell if you can switch off the abnormal metabolism and the growth factors the growth factors the vascular endothelial growth factor which is like a biggie that kind of switches off the immune system so you need to kind of look at the growth factors um, particularly when you've got a really fast growing cancer such as pancreatic or something like that you really need to be blocking um, the growth factors very strongly uh, as soon as it's um, taking off you know that's that's kind of like almost uh, almost as important if not more important actually at that point than the starving the cancer both of them will work to sort of block the um, block the growth but you know you need to be looking beyond just the metro map um, and i've got various options on mmp inhibitors um, because mmp is a an enzyme that will break down the matrix around the cancer to allow cancer cells to spread and there are different mmps uh, so you've got one through to i think about 25 or six or something but the the most the key ones are two <clears throat> and nine Nine is actually sort of um, a problem in every cancer. Uh, MMP2 is a problem in um, lesser cancers, lesser number of cancers, but it's still, right. you know, something that needs to be blocked. And, and I think that's something that people need to look at very carefully when they are um, looking at uh, what they're doing. So block, blocking those is really important. Uh, and, and that has an effect on vascular endothelial growth factor. And aspirin is great for blocking some of that too you know, um, but there are some supplements that are good at that too. Brilliant. And just any other sort of modalities and suggestions? Um, I think 
think you mentioned like some sort of aerobic activity after meals, um, using UV light at some stage, any other sort of tricks and tips and things in the toolbox that, you know, if we're pulling out all stops and using this real shotgun approach rather than the silver bullet, any other <clears throat> gems that you might want to um, yeah. mention? Yeah, I think exercise is so underutilized really as an option. You know, I, I think people rely on the, it's, it's a bit of laziness, I think, on the part. And, and also if you've got chemo and you've in your body and you're feeling lousy and so, and actually having cancer just generally slows you down. Yeah. So you have to kind of fight against that to, to go out there and actually get yourself moving. And it can be quite an effort. Um, and, and even if you start with things like Tai Chi or yoga or something like that, just getting moving or getting something going is, is really useful. Um, and, and what you're doing by doing that is that you just feel so much better once you, once you do it. Um, and people need to, to remember, just hold on to the fact that they will feel better at the, you know, ultimately they'll feel an awful lot better than they did at the beginning. Um, but they just have to make that effort to do it because if it was a pill, everyone would be doing it because it reduces um, metastases by a huge you know significant number um, and the reason for doing that is because exercise will pull glucose out of the system and direct it to the muscles um, and that's you know we're talking about cardiovascular uh, aerobic exercise predominantly for that but actually if you do strength resistance exercises then uh, you'll be working on glutamine as well so oh, you know, yeah. that, uh, combination of both of them actually works better <clears throat> than individually um and that's something I, I'll, I'll be talking about in more detail in the future as well so um but that yeah so that that that's a, a biggie that people just don't bother with you know which is a shame because they would really benefit from it yeah very powerful all right well we might wrap up there um so you, you, you've got your first edition of the book which is a as you mentioned like the first half is your story mm-hmm. and it's, yeah incredible um journey and then the second half is more uh, the biochemistry and i'm sure people after this podcast will get a sense of your passion for for understanding all the mechanisms and pathways so tell me about the, the facebook page who's on that and what sort of stories are unfolding there and and how do people yeah. get involved with that okay so um yeah people can just join my facebook group it's a bit of a long <laughs> mouthful um it's jane mcmelland off-label drugs for cancer uh, people often spell my surname incorrectly. It's M C L E L L. So uh, Jane McClelland off label drugs for cancer. And uh, I've got a lot of information about not just the drugs I mentioned in the book, but some other potential options as well. And there are, you know, there's, there's a lot of people who share their Metro maps for particular types of cancer and things on there too. So you can see what other people are doing. And we have a section for positive progress. Uh, people to put hashtag positive progress and they put their stories of how well they're doing with their protocols um and you know we're getting more and more people going into remission uh so that's absolutely wonderful to see that and just you know the uh the number of people who are turning around stage four um from being given a sort of a terminal diagnosis you know stage four to me should not be terminal it should not be classed as terminal um it you could manage it as a chronic disease you yeah. can keep a you know a lid on it. Um, I don't know whether I've completely stamped out my stage four. I could still have cancer stem cells running around still. I don't know. Um, I haven't done a circulating tumor uh, test, but um, you know I don't know. I don't know. And I, I still take some of my drugs and some of my 
I, you know, I regularly still take them all, um, not all of them, but uh, a lot of them. And I, I feel fine. I'm hopefully, you know, doing okay with cancer. Um, I haven't had a, a, a blip since 2004, wow. uh, fingers crossed. So, you know, and, um, and, and people shouldn't be disheartened because there are a lot of positive stories on my Facebook group and don't give up. It's sort of like my big message. Do not give up because there's so much more you can, you can do beyond the standard of care. And I just wish more people would know about it. You know, I, I'm, I've not had any big publicity on, on my book or, or the protocol or anything. It's still very much underground. In fact, my, my name, Jane McClelland, off-label drugs for cancer, was to keep myself a little bit under the parapet when I first started. People would only find me if they actually typed in the full thing. Right. Um, because I didn't want to be seen as sort of rocking the boat or, or anything. And, and I've kind of stuck my head out above the parapet now when I publish my book. But um, uh, I, I'm starting to be a bit more vocal and, and start this revolution going a little bit more um, because it needs to you know and and people are great they're starting to spread the word a lot more um and between the the doctors it's great that you've seen how many did you say four uh, or five four or five yeah and, yeah yeah and they've all got a copy of my book which yep, is terrific on, the desk, yep. <laughs> on board with this and to actually understand how and why you know what targets they're trying to hit and and, and why and and hopefully i've done that with the book is to simplify uh the, the key targets obviously there are there are more but um you know the key targets are, are in the book um the update will be sort of a slightly more advanced version of that so just stick to version one edition one uh if you want if you want it fairly basic but um that that's the key is to you know keep it simple stupid mm. kiss usually brilliant <laughs> usual thing so yeah uh, it, and it isn't simple, but I've tried to make it as simple as, as cancer can be. And let's face it, it's not easy, is it? Yeah, it's very complex. So, yeah. Well, I appreciate your time. And um, yeah, from your book, your, your story, as I said, it's amazing. Your determination is incredible. Um, I'm really impressed with your ability to synthesize all this, like to pull this all together, especially under duress with a terminal diagnosis, and then to now be able to help so many people is just uh, profound. So congratulations and i look forward to seeing more and more of your success with patients in the future yeah here's to success <laughs> and yeah and, and to, to everybody you know getting on the, the the program and 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 trying to do you know a bit more than just the standard of care because standard of care is not working <laughs> so thank you very much for having me on my pleasure For useful links and resources, make sure you check out the show notes. The information provided in this episode is for educational purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for health and medical care. Always consult a healthcare professional for medical advice.